This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Well, for the teaching time, we are going to go over this passage in Mark because it's something that we still need to know. What does Jesus tell us in this passage, and what does he most often say? Be ready. Anybody here besides me ever be in in the Boy Scouts? No. The the Boy Scout motto is, be prepared. Well, that's what applies to this message. Now, we look at what Jesus said, and you can find elements of these first two verses, 24 and 25, in Isaiah in Ezekiel, in Joel, and Amos. So these are Old Testament passages, and there's actually more of them, so it's too many to quote. However, what we have to look at these verses and see, it says, but in those days after the tribulation, that's a key word there, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Does that sound kind of bleak and disastrous? I mean, the sun's not going to shine, the moon's not going to either, and the stars are going to fall from the sky. So does that sound kind of ominous? Sort of like a Massachusetts winter. (laughs) Now, without the sun, let's keep in mind, life ceases to exist. Think about that. If we didn't have that large yellow ball in the sky giving off light or heat in this case, which since we can't see the sun today, we're thankful for the heat, we couldn't live, period. What would happen if we didn't have the sun up there? Well, that's true, but the specifics are that everything would freeze. We would freeze to death. We would be icicles within a second. And be just like that. But see, there's some hopefulness in this same set of verses because we have 26 and 27. And it says there that then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Folks, that is a victorious statement. It's positive. It's uplifting because we know that if we have come to faith in Christ, we are going to be taken care of. We are going to be taken care of and rescued and we'll be okay. It's the most victorious thing possible because we're thinking Jesus is going to come back and take us home. And with this, we get reassurance that we're in good hands. You see, we get that heads up that he's taking care of us. Expositor J.C. Ryle says about this passage, The second coming of Christ will be utterly unlike the first. He came the first time in weakness, a tender infant born of a poor woman in the manger at Bethlehem, unnoticed, unhonored, and scarcely known. He will come the second time in royal dignity with the armies of heaven around him to be known, to be recognized, and feared by all the tribes of the earth. He came the first time to suffer, to bear our sins, to be reckoned a curse, 
to be despised and rejected, unjustly condemned and slain. But he will come the second time to reign, to put down every enemy beneath his feet, to take the kingdoms of this world for his inheritance, to rule them with righteousness, to judge everybody, and to live forevermore. How vast the difference between those two things. We have now the promise of victory. We have now the promise of deliverance from this world and its evils and everything. And now think about this. This is not unusual for the gospel or for the Bible because think of it. Noah was warned ahead of time. He was warned and able to take steps to be made safe. Lot was warned about Sodom. Assurance was given that he's going to be rescued. And even in Nineveh, Jonah was sent there to warn them. So think about this. We are being told ahead of time on what's happening and what's going to happen so we can take the steps to be ready, to be prepared, to be taken care of, and to be looked after. Now, then Jesus tells this parable of the fig tree, and it seems like, well, we read this in all of the synoptics. We read this same story. We have these same passages or something very much like them. And just for research purposes or just for curiosity's sake, I went and looked in the lectionary in years A, B, and C. We have a three-year cycle. They're all different verses, but the same in the first two weeks of Advent every year, we get Matthew one year, we get Luke another, and we get Mark for another. Why? And it's not because the people who put together the lectionary wants to bore everybody. It's so we can get the message that we need to be prepared and ready for Christ's coming, because He will come. Not on our timetable, but He will come. Now. When you see the leaves coming out on the fig trees, everybody knew because he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples telling them about what's going to happen. And yes, some of what's going to happen, he's forecasting the destruction of the temple in, in Jerusalem in 70 AD. But at the same time, the same passage speaks of his second return. And so, or his return. Now, the fig tree came out because there were fig trees in the garden. Those guys listening to this understood the illustration perfectly because they said, okay, there were fig trees right there. And this is happening around, say, April. So the leaves were out. The fig tree is very consistent in what it does. Every spring, the leaves come out. But in the summer, the fruit is born. So... He says, keep awake, be aware, and understand the signs of the times. This is sort of like the warning to the men of Issachar we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, because the men of Issachar were said to understand the times. That's why we need to keep our eyes open and be aware of the signs of the times. Now, I know that I've preached saying, don't be a sign watcher. Don't be looking at your Bible and then watching the news and saying this, 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 and this, and this. 
But what it does mean is everything, regardless of what you believe about the second coming, everything's going to go rapidly downhill right before Jesus is returned. So be awake and watch. That's what it means. Now, Jesus then says, no one knows the hour. No one knows when I'm going to come back. It's sort of like if anyone here has ever played sports or been an avid sports fan, right? It would be sort of like that, that the, in the stadium, the only one who knows how much time is left in the game is the timekeeper time in the press box. But at the same time, those guys down on the field or down on the court are told to just keep playing until they hear the signal. That's kind of like this. We're supposed to keep going. We're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be doing our duty and witnessing and sharing and getting excited about Jesus until we hear, in our case, the trumpet blow. But in their case, until they hear the final tweet tweet of the referee's whistle signaling that the game is over. Or there's an illustration that we can all more readily relate to, and that's when the teacher gives us some assignment or some work to do and leaves the room and tells us, keep working on this, when? Until I come back. But you don't know when the teacher's going to return. Now, it's tempting, trust me, I'm aware of this, for the kids, that's us, to goof off and not do the work and just try to keep your ear up to listen for the footsteps coming down the hall. But there was this one teacher who wore these gumshoe soles where she could walk down the hall stomping and you still wouldn't hear her coming. So it was a test to see if we were going to be diligent like we're supposed to and do the work like we're supposed to until she comes back. But some of us didn't, and I'm not going to give any names here. Now, it was tempting not to do the work because you say, well, yeah, she's not here. I mean, she's not going to know, blah, 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 blah. But what are we told in Scripture? Be diligent and be faithful and to keep doing what we're supposed to do until the time comes because we need to be ready. Now, that doesn't mean to sit there and quake and worry and be shivering and have your knees knocking together and all that, but it does mean be prepared, stay faithful, and be ready to go. This is the first Sunday in Advent, and what's the season of Advent is to anticipate Jesus' birth. Now, yes, we know He's already been born, He's already died, crucified, gone to heaven, and we're waiting for Him to come back. But it's that season of anticipation. And so think about this. Christmas season and Easter season are the only two times of the year that the gospel message is actually reasonably culturally accepted. So we have an opportunity to witness for the gospel during these four weeks, and it's the only time of the year where Christian radio stations will play what we would call overtly secular music, like Let It Snow or Winter Wonderland or one of those things. It's the only time of the year, though, that when Hark the Herald Angels Sing is acceptable on even the secular radio stations. Now, Scottish theologian Donald MacLeod 
once lamented, every year the world and the church experiences Christmas, that curious amalgam of paganism, commercialism, and Christianity which Western civilization has invented to tide it over the darkest days of the winter. Christmas is a lost opportunity, a time when the world invites the church to speak, and the church blushes, smiles, and mutters a few banalities with which the world is already perfectly familiar from its own stock of cliches and nursery rhymes. Now, what surprising word might we speak or act of generosity might we take toward unbelieving neighbors and family and co-workers? What might we do? Show the life and the reality of the gospel for them. Might Advent be an occasion and excuse to take the potentially awkward initiative for Jesus you've been wanting to take all year long, perhaps your words and faith-inspired efforts will prove to be their turning from darkness to light. May the opportunity not be lost on us this year. Make this Advent your invitation to make much of Jesus in your own heart, in your home, with your church, and in our world. So let's use the time wisely and take advantage of the culturally open opportunity to share the truth of the gospel. Because Christmas, regardless of whether we know when Jesus was born or not, that's almost an irrelevant point. It's the time to commemorate his birth and entry into our world. And so it's a time we have to share the gospel because the Christmas story is all gospel. Let's not miss that opportunity. And I think we can. We can seize that moment. We can talk about the victory we get. We can tell people about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So that's why this passage is important. We have the warning to be alert, but we can take the initiative and share the victory with others. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.